welcome to the Senior Attorney Match Podcast. I am your host, attorney Jeremy Pook, founder of Senior Attorney Match. Here, we discuss how attorneys who have practiced for more than 30 years can monetize their law practices. We also explain how to value and how to sell a law practice and the logistics involved when transitioning a law practice to a successor lawyer or law firm. Welcome to this podcast of the Senior Attorney Match podcast that we are conducting in somber and strange times. It's early April of 2020. We are all experiencing nationwide, worldwide, the coronavirus pandemic, and yet we're staying open for business. And today's podcast that we're calling Trial Lawyers Open for Business, we are joined today by three of the best in the industry. We're joined by trial attorney Ben Rabinowitz. We're joined by defense attorney Chris Kenny. And we're joined today by Sarah Worley of Worley Conflict Resolution, the seasoned mediator and arbitrator. In terms of our agenda today, we're going to discuss how PI matters in particular are continuing even as courts have closed. Ben is in New York, Chris is in Boston. The courts in both states essentially closed in mid-March due to the coronavirus. And we're not exactly sure when the courts are going to reopen. We're going to speak about the value of virtual mediations and arbitrations. And we're going to speak about some tips that Ben and Chris and Sarah can share with us. Just to give a brief bio of each of our guests today, because they are outstanding members of the bar and outstanding lawyers in their jurisdictions. So Ben Rabinowitz, managing partner of Gear Gear Connison. Ben has the distinguished honor of being named as Lawyer of the Year with Best Lawyers four times. Ben is a, a rare attorney who never stops fighting for his client's plight. On Ben's bio, there's listed a terrific quote from one of Ben's clients. And Ben's client says, quote, there is no lawyer who will work harder for you. This guy really cares. He truly puts his client's needs first. If Ben agrees to take your case, consider yourself lucky. You will never have anyone devote as much time, care, and effort to your cause, end quote. And the results prove that quote. Ben has 27 verdicts and over 160 settlements in excess of $1 million, ranging from car accidents, premises accidents, construction accidents, med mal, civil rights violations, and product liabilities. Ben is a past president of the New York City chapter of the American Board of Trial Advocates, and Ben is a dean of the New York State Trial Lawyers Association, NISLA. Chris Kenny, attorney Chris Kenny. Chris is Boston-based co-founder of Kenny and Sam's, which is a nationally recognized litigation firm. Chris has successfully tried cases and argued appeals before state and federal courts in Massachusetts and several other states. Chris is the immediate past president of the Massachusetts Bar Association, and Chris is a former president of the Massachusetts Defense Lawyers Association. Chris is known for his determination, his passion, preparation, and how he devises effective strategies to achieve his client's objectives. While known as a formidable, tenacious adversary, Chris values and advances respectful working relationships 
with all parties to a dispute, which we're welcoming to hear from Chris today, and attorney Sarah Worley. Sarah is an attorney and has 20 plus years experience as a neutral. Sarah is a member of the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals and has been recognized by super lawyers and top women of the law in Massachusetts. Sarah has mediated or arbitrated over 9,000 cases, over 5,000 of which are personal injury law related. Sarah also operates as an independent investigator in Title IX in workplace cases. Sarah has already revamped her bustling mediation practice to accommodate trial lawyers in Massachusetts and across the country to handle virtual mediations, which Sarah will address more throughout today's podcast. So jumping into it, we're going to first ask for Chris. Chris, can you address this question that's, that's pressing on the minds of trial attorneys in Massachusetts, New York, and across the country, you know, just how will personal injury law matters continue progressing even as courts are closed for non-essential matters during the foreseeable next few weeks and maybe even months? Sure, Jeremy. Thank you. From the defense perspective, we are dealing with either liability insurance companies or large self-insured entities. Either way, they're sophisticated consumers of legal services. Unlike a Plaintiff individual, you know, personal injury or wrongful death plaintiff, for which the matter is incredibly personal. On the defense side, for the people handling the defense expenses and the indemnity expense, it's business decision. And I don't mean to be cold or callous, but uh, just indicating that time is money. Time is money because once the claim is asserted and a reserve is set up, that means money has been set aside, usually in two buckets. One, a reserve for the defense cost. How much is it going to cost the company? to defend against this claim, win, lose, or draw? And second, how much do we have to set aside as a reserve for a settlement or payment of damages? Once those monies are set aside as an accounting principle, it's essentially gone. You know, it, it can't be used or deployed for other purposes. So it's incredibly important for the insurers or the self-insured entities who are defendants in these cases to move cases along. Even during a national emergency such as this, They've got to be creative, work with their defense counsel, and move the cases along. Another consideration mitigating in favor of this is that there's prejudgment interest, which has not been suspended. So as these, these lawsuits are pending in the courts, the courts may be closed, but in Massachusetts, you have a very rich prejudgment interest, which is the best investment one could make these days, because your damages, if you go to judgment, are going to have 12% per year simple interest tacked onto them. So, you know, people are now trying to predict how long this closure will last. And I know we all on both sides of the V hope it's not long. But from the defense perspective, we are adding interest to an eventual judgment for cases that go to trial and are paid out. So it's better for the cases to move along, be adjudicated, hopefully be resolved, if that can be done, without the specter of prejudgment interest being added on top of the reserve. And the last consideration I think that's going to make the defense side move these cases along reasonably and efficiently during this closure period is that they don't want to pay for duplication of effort. If they've paid their defense counsel to prepare a case for mediation or arbitration or trial, we all know that's a fire drill. That That is the time, it's game time, when the lawyers put aside the other cases, grab the case file that's going to the hearing or the trial, and dive in, line up the witnesses, work with the experts, get the exhibits together. That's very expensive and worthwhile if you're 
you know, your trial is right around the corner. But here where things are going to be put off because of the closure, I don't think any defense payors, insurers or self-insureds, want to pay this twice. So I think they're going to ask their, their defense counsel to continue preparing cases so that they can be adjudicated. And during this closure period, when the courts are not an option, it may be that we see more of these going to the virtual mediations and arbitrations we'll talk about more in a moment. Great. And Ben, so why should, through the trial attorney's perspective, why should plaintiffs consider progressing with their matters at this time? And, and how are they doing it? So let's take a step back for a moment. One of the things that the plaintiff's lawyers have to take a look at is the same exact type of question that the defense lawyers have to look at. And that question is the seminal one. What is best for the client? So if you think about it, there are times when the plaintiff's bar might be faced with the real question. Defense lawyers are saying to them, fine, we'll move the case, but we want a coronavirus discount. Now, obviously, there are ethical considerations and concerns with that. And certainly we would recommend you never, ever put the interests of your law firm and the debt that your law firm has ahead of your client's interests. But the real thing that you have to evaluate is this. Just like you would evaluate a plaintiff during a deposition or a defendant during the deposition, you have to decide, is this person going to be helped by moving the case forward at this time? Is the plaintiff infirm? Is the plaintiff sick? Is the plaintiff not going to be able to testify in the future if we don't take care of this right now? So there are some real obligations that a plaintiff's lawyer has right now to move the case forward, especially if their clients are not going to be able to speak clearly at a later date if they're sick or if they're infirm. The defense lawyers want to move the cases because they want to be paid. They have to justify their existence. The plaintiff's lawyers have to justify their existence. The fear that the plaintiff's lawyers really have is that although the defense lawyers and the plaintiff's lawyers want to move the cases, the insurance carriers don't want to pay out at this point in time. Well, we have to find a way to make sure that it's best for everyone. And that's why having these virtual mediations can actually work. To any plaintiff's lawyer who's actually going to say, I'll agree to a coronavirus discount, I would caution against that. And I would suggest that that's a very poor idea. I think what we can do is certainly we can wait it out at this point in time, but we can also move our cases forward. We could certainly deal with the pleadings. We could certainly deal with our experts during the time that the court is closed. We can certainly prepare motions. We can certainly prepare appeals. To the extent that we're not working and doing things that can actually advance the case, shame on us. To the extent that we are, it's going to only be good for the client. So the point that I'm really trying to make is this. We know that there are times when we can move forward with our plaintiffs as far as depositions go to them. It can only help. I've not had one defense attorney offer up, for example, a defendant doctor in a medical malpractice case during this time of the coronavirus. I don't expect them to right now. But there's certainly no reason that we can't move forward with certain cases and with certain plaintiffs that we need to move. Great. Thank you. And Sarah, before we start talking about the virtual mediation option, which both Ben and Chris have a consensus on its value, getting cases ready for even going into virtual mediation, can both of you discuss, I mean, what are you doing now? I know it's such a general question I'm presenting, but what are you doing now about discovery? So Ben just mentioned that, okay, doctors are realistically not available to provide their expert testimony, but are there things that you're seeing right now where trial lawyers, defense attorneys can still progress with discovery 
where realistically most office locations are their physical locations are closed. And, and Chris, if we could start with you on that, that'd be great. Sure. One thing we're trying to do in each of our personal injury and wrongful death cases is to be sure that we've conducted a site inspection and done any testing that's necessary. For example, if it's a train accident case, we may have got a file that the insurer put together with his investigator. We have photographs, but there's nothing like seeing it yourself. With all due consideration for social distancing, site inspections are something that we are setting up, particularly if they're outside. And we'll have certain protocol with our counterparts on the plaintiff side. We'll, for example, agree we'll meet in a parking lot. Uh, we'll maintain a distance of, you know, 20 yards or so. We can communicate by our cell phones. If we need to go up to the subject matter of the case, for example, whether it's a, you know, a damaged train, a car, an escalator, whatever it is that's the subject of the, the liability argument, we can take turns getting up there to take measurements with our expert, take photographs. If agreed, do any destructive testing you know, with, you know, with protocols in place. And this can all be done uh, with due consideration for social separation because uh, we're not going, normally we're not going inside of buildings. If we were going inside of a building, it's usually something like a train station or some massive place that we can get some social separation in. It wouldn't be in the, the vestibule um, or the main lobby of any type of building because you may still have some people coming through. But we're doing a lot of work there to make sure that we are getting the testing done, the site inspections and the like. Another thing we're doing is just grabbing the file and going through what we call in, in Massachusetts the 9C process, following up on responses to our document requests, answers to interrogatories, to make sure while we have the time that they're thorough and complete. If they're not, uh, under our rules, we have a 9C conference with opposing counsel, which can be done by telephone and certainly can be done effectively in, in this timing. And that way we're making sure that although we're not going into court and we're not taking live depositions, we are getting the paper discovery fully up to speed. Great. And Ben, on discovery from your side, how are you moving discovery forward in advance of suggesting to clients to consider virtual mediations? So let's take a look at the depositions. Normally what would happen in a deposition is we would have all of the parties in one room where everybody can question and see what's going on. The fear that both sides have, if I can call it plainly, is the fear of coaching by attorneys. If, for example, a plaintiff's lawyer and their client or a defense lawyer and his or her client are in a room by themselves. The fear is that somebody's going to be coached. A witness might be coached. But there's a very simple answer for that. And there's a very simple solution. If you're going to be doing video depositions, and that's what we can do with Zoom conferencing or Zoom depositions or any other mode that you can use through the internet. If you put two cameras in the room, one on the deponent, one on the attorney, you can make sure that there's no coaching going on. The goal is to move the cases forward at this point in time. And as far as we're concerned, the plaintiff is going to be deposed no matter what. If we can move the case forward at this point in time, if attorneys act ethically, and certainly with a goal of moving the case forward, we can get these done. The concern that I mentioned before about doctors not wanting to be deposed at this time, we understand that. But there are certainly depositions that can take place, certainly witnesses to the event if they're going to be deposed, whether it's a wrongful death case, whether it's a, an auto case, premises case, or any other type of case where you do have to depose these witnesses, there's no reason that we can't reach out and try and get these done now, especially the way that we were doing them before with video depositions. And that's why I think if you move forward with respect to mediations, this is something that can be done. And I have a feeling it's going to be the wave of the future where we can do these virtual mediations as efficiently as we were doing things in the past. I think the same thing might hold true with depositions. 
Although, of course, we'd rather be there in present with everyone there. It can't always work that way. Thank you, Ben. And that's a great lead in. So, Sarah, you've been on the sidelines so far, listening, hearing a theme here of a goal for cases to move forward. So can you tell us about the virtual mediation practice that you have, the benefits to virtual mediation, and maybe even some of the drawbacks that that listeners should be considering as well? Sure. You know, I think listening to Ben and Chris, they raise such good points. I think that this is a time during a national emergency when the best of lawyers come out. And the only way we are going to move cases forward is there has to be a certain level of trust between the parties. There are some misconceptions that I've encountered. I'm sure Ben and Chris have encountered. You know, there are some people in the plaintiff's bar who think that the defense bar is going to drag its feet, that they want to keep cases alive as long as possible because they want to keep billing those files as long as possible, and they will not settle. There are people in the defense bar who think that plaintiffs are going to come in with ridiculously unrealistic expectations for their settlement because they now have all sorts of different financial pressures that they're going to try and relieve through this particular settlement. And a lot of my work has to do with trying to address those extremes. Because on the one hand, as Chris said, you know, on the insurance side, claims are adjusted. And what that means is that they are, they are viewed, they are valued. There is an assessment made as to a reasonable settlement value, a predictable outcome where the case go to trial. Reserves are set. And unless something dramatic changes in that particular case, in those sets of facts, the case is going to settle, if it does, within a certain range that has been agreed upon by a group of professionals who have done this for most of their adult lives. So what I don't see, and I will tell you, since I went into quarantine on the 13th of March, because I had been in Los Angeles, and when I got back, immediately set up at home, and I had done 12 mediations since then, all done on the Zoom platform, one of which involved a 10-party fire subrogation claim with 17 participants. And because there were claims and cross-claims and counterclaims and coverage issues, we ended up utilizing eight different breakout rooms, and the parties sort of had to change between some of those rooms, depending which side of the V they were on for a particular claim. But what came through in each one of those mediations was an understanding that in order to these cases through for the next few months, which we are going to have to all do together. And there needs to be an understanding that claims professionals have to move cases along. They've got to close files. They've got to move on to their next set of claims because they are about to be inundated by brand new claims. And on the other hand, plaintiff's attorneys, you know, they need to secure compensation for their clients. And I agree with everything that Ben said. In all of these cases, there is a weighing of the equities. And there has to be a recognition that the plaintiff's needs, the plaintiff's articulated concerns always come first. And will the plaintiff be around or able to testify later? What is their condition? What is their circumstance? And that's why plaintiffs go to wise attorneys like Ben and say, Please advise me as to what I should do. What is your best judgment? 
I'll tell you one sort of anecdotal aside, and this came up during my fire subrogation claim. One of the claims professionals working on that matter was simultaneously in four other mediations. And that is not unusual. So in the past, when I've had claims professionals who have not appeared in person at a mediation, but have been available by telephone, they're often at their desks and they are working on multiple mediations at the same time. It can be a little frustrating for the mediator because sometimes I can't reach that person by phone. Sometimes their phone line is busy. On this particular day, this was a full day case. We went 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Every single time I needed this person, I would check into her breakout room and she was there with two other attorneys and I could see her. I could see the three screens set up in her home office, but I got her attention eye to eye and I could talk through different aspects of the claim with her. And I found that very helpful because Again, we go back to trust. Some of these people I've worked with before, and they are now swamped with work. And on both sides, plaintiff side, defense side, they will they will say to me on a Zoom platform, look, what is your best judgment about what is happening here? What do you think we should do? What's your advice? And we are all humans. And having that eye-to-eye contact with someone who you know and trust is a real benefit. So I think the the more that the bar can work together to understand that we are all trying to do the same thing here. We are trying to get a resolution for our respective clients so that we can move forward to the next set of clients because the, the work of lawyers will never be done out of this pandemic. And I think there is a great potential to be able to work collaboratively, without giving up any ground, without compromising our own client's positions. But, you know, it's people like Chris and Ben who are going to set the tone for the rest of the bar in the country. The one thing I've seen, which I think is, it is not an insurmountable challenge. It just involves more preparation and more planning. The, the drawback of virtual mediation is given the social distancing guidelines that we are all following, It is not possible for a plaintiff's attorney and a plaintiff to be in the same space safely because in order for a plaintiff to get to their attorney's office, unless there are perfect circumstances where they can get in their car, drive, and somehow securely get to that office without encountering anybody else, it's just not safe. So what I have seen are plaintiffs who are nervous because they are in their dining room alone they are on a virtual platform. Their attorney is right there. And once they get into the breakout room, it's better because it's only the two of them in the general session. And general sessions can be very flexible. They can be whatever the parties want. I will tell you that in my general session, I like to have an opening statement or an, just an opening introduction where everybody is on the screen so that everyone knows who's present. I don't want there to be any surprises You know, I didn't know that this person was involved in this mediation. So I think ordinarily a plaintiff's attorney would be sitting very close to their their client and reassuring them just by their presence that everything's going to be okay. It is difficult for plaintiffs because oftentimes they're the only civilian who is involved in the mediation. And I think the, the way to address this is for plaintiff's attorneys to really spend some time with their clients before the mediation, explaining exactly what it's going to look like, what it's going to feel like, 
the fact that we all understand this is a strange platform, if they can just trust the process during the few minutes of the openings, once we are in the breakout rooms, it will seem exactly like it would have if we were doing a face-to-face mediation. So I think what I have seen, too, is on the defense side, there's been a lot of sensitivity among defense attorneys and claims professionals to the fact that for plaintiffs, this is an awkward setup because they don't have the reassurance of having their attorney right there with them. So in wrapping up, thank you again to the three of you for joining. If each of you could share with us in about 30 to 45 seconds under the theme of trial attorneys uh, open for business, what's your tip for lawyer colleagues of yours Ben and Chris, and also Sarah, for you to chime in on this for how we can keep practicing, keep representing your clients during this challenging time. And if we could start with Ben, please. Sure. I'll give you two tips. The first of which is patience wins. And what I mean by that is, look, we know that there's a real concern, a real fear that many plaintiffs have out there where the defense lawyers are saying to us, we want our coronavirus discount. As far as we're concerned, you as the plaintiff's lawyer must be patient. You must be the voice of reason when it comes to speaking with your clients and explaining to them what's going on. I would hope that no plaintiff's attorney would put the interest and debt of their law firm above the interests of their client, because as far as I'm concerned, that's completely unethical. But what we can do is we can certainly move the cases as we spoke. We know that the wheel is round. If anyone is going to say to us, we want a coronavirus discount, guess what? Well, if the wheel is round, next time round, we have the the pressure on them that we're not going to settle the case. They know this. The ethical, honest defense lawyers and adjusters know that we've got to keep everybody happy at this point in time and move things forward. And that's why I say patience wins. Be patient in doing this. As was mentioned earlier, Chris spoke about the interest that runs on these cases. And that's true, whether it's a death case or a case where there is a judgment on liability, yes, interest is running and it runs at a very high amount right now. And that flows into the second point that I'll make as far as a tip, and that is don't ever panic. Remember, as rough as this is for the next couple of months, we can wait it out. We've got to work together. And the the most important thing that I could suggest is this, always, always, always put the interests of the client first. You know we can move forward with depositions at this point in time. You know we have to evaluate who the plaintiff is, whether or not they're going to be around, whether or not we will have the proof later on that we might need right now. All of these things dovetail into protecting the client, and that's the most important thing that we can do. So as far as I'm concerned, as far as the coronavirus goes, and obviously the concerns and, in fact, panic that comes along with it, put it aside, focus on the interests of your client, and we will get through this together. Thank you. Chris? I think that's great advice, Ben, and I think it applies equally to the defense side and and our commitment to our clients, so I I wholeheartedly endorse that. As a matter of practical advice, I I would suggest to all lawyers, but particularly defense lawyers who are teaming with a claims professional, that you add infrastructure to your daily schedule. What I mean by that is we're in a different world now. Rather than being in the hubbub of a law firm setting, everyone's remote. Even the uh, folks, the claims professionals are not together in their offices. So it's easy for a day to pass by and not a lot gets done. So if you plan your days, schedule meetings, virtual meetings with your your clients and follow a four-step process of communicate, plan, execute, and assess, things will continue to progress 
On the defense side, you know, you're billing by the hour usually as opposed to the contingency fee on the plaintiff side. So it's, it's important that as a matter of business continuation, you advance your cases ethically and responsibly and that you're making linear progress on the cases every day. And to do that, you have to have some infrastructure into your schedule rather than just waking up and seeing what the day holds for you. And Sarah, thank you, Chris. So two tips. One is, I think on for all attorneys, it is worth investing extra time into communicating with your clients, really finding out what is it that your client wants, what is it they need, what is it you can do for them. One thing that this virtual world has done for me is it has opened up my day, which can be a good or bad thing. Ordinarily, I'm in Boston. I work on East Coast time. I've been doing cases with people in California who are so swamped that they will say, look, I hate to ask you this, but could we start a mediation at four o'clock Los Angeles time? And my response is, why, of course, because I won't be going anywhere this evening, so I have plenty of time. So to the extent that people can be flexible and creative in how they're going to schedule their day, we can actually get an awful lot done. My second suggestion is, by all means, please communicate with the mediator. So mediation and arbitration, while they follow certain rules and certain procedures, they are fairly flexible processes, and they can be tailored to accommodate different and strange circumstances. If there is a strange circumstance, just get in touch with the mediator and say, gosh, I've got this case, it's got a twist to it, and is there any way that you can see we could accommodate this? The answer is probably always yes. You don't know until you ask. So people should not be shy about reaching out if they've got some sort of strange, or in this world, even stranger than pandemic problem that they need to discuss. Thank you. And again, thank you so much to the three of you. Attorney Ben Rabinowitz, Managing Partner of Manhattan-based Gare Gare Connison. Chris Kenny, founding partner of Boston-based Kenny and Sam's, and Sarah Worley, founder and principal of Sarah E. Worley Conflict Resolution. Trial attorneys are open for business. Very fortunate to have such leading attorneys, and Sarah, you as a mediator, leading the charge, representing your clients, and helping the legal community move forward during this difficult time. Thanks so much to the three of you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Senior Attorney Match Podcast. For more information, please visit SeniorAttorneyMatch.com. You can always reach me, Jeremy Pook, by calling me at 781-247-4211 or sending me a text message at 617-285-3325.